right, well, good morning. It's great to be together this morning. Uh, I walked in, I gotta say, I walked in from, I, I went out and came back in, and the fellowship was so good, it just put a straight smile on my face when I walked in to see everybody just talking to each other and, and getting time. I was like, amen. David, I came up to tell David, he's like, should we start? And I was like, we should. He goes, but it's so good, I don't want to end this. I was like, I know. Amen. We, but, well, we got to get it going. So, amen. So, uh, good morning. It, it, like I said, happy Father's Day to the fathers. Uh, it is special to, uh, to now be a father uh, and to be able to understand a little bit more how much uh, our Father in Heaven really loves us. Because I know how much I love my boy, right? Um, and it just gives it a, a whole new perspective. But... We're going to be in Luke 7 today, is what we're going to be picking up. And we're going to look at, uh, if you're going to, we're going to title this as He Who Loves Little, right? He Who Loves Little. Um, and there's going to be a lot that we can cover from this, but I'm going to only really focus on one aspect of it today uh, in Luke 7. There's much, as I said, that can be said. But before we get started, let's go ahead and pray together. All right, let's pray. Father, we, we come to you and pray to you, Lord, that you work powerfully on all of us through your Holy Spirit. We pray that your word uh, cuts deeply where we need to hear this, Father, where we need to see and hear your word. We pray that, uh, I, I pray specifically, let me be an instrument of your will today. Let me put aside uh, thoughts and feelings apart from those that are totally from you, Lord. Pray that I can bring your scripture to the forefront, bring your word and your heart uh, through today. Let us, let us all be moved by your spirit. We love you and we give thanks to you and praise to you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. 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 So we're going to be in Luke 7, verse 36 this morning. And, uh, you know, it's a dinner. Jesus is one of those guys I feel like... Uh, you're like, Jesus likes to party, kind of a thing. Uh, Jesus ends up being at a lot of people's houses with a lot of people around and food going on and, and different things. And this is kind of one of those scenarios. But in, uh, in verse 36, where we're picking up, says, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to his house, or to, invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. 
You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. And therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, this, um, this is a, a amazing passage in, in so many ways. And I think um, one context of this scripture is to think about this idea of a debtor first. They, they, we don't have this in the U.S., but they had debtors' prisons. And so if they could, somebody was in debt to you, that you could be sent to prison until you paid it off, which didn't ever make sense to me, because how do you pay off a debt if you are stuck in prison, right? But they had these things called debtors' prisons, and so they were going to be stuck there if, they, if the debt wasn't forgiven, and that eventually happened. But I want to give us some context to this whole scene uh, when we look at, at what's going on. Now, the scene is, is, is very likely in the courtyard of Simon's house. Right? And, and I think that's interesting. Uh, it, it's a point to note because last week I said that a Pharisee would never associate with someone like this. You know, they, they wouldn't allow someone like this in their house. And, and so, in their kind of way, it's, he's not actually in... She's not in his house. She's actually in the courtyard of his home. And so what would happen is these well-off men would build these courtyards and so it would be like kind of a hollow square. And often in warm weather, the hosts would entertain outside. Um, And it was customary that when a rabbi was invited to a home, all kinds of people would be invited to come. It was, it was just a custom that they would be allowed to come and be in the courtyard and, and hear and sit at the rabbi's feet and listen to what the rabbi had to teach. And Jesus, while he calls him teacher, was a rabbi. This word he uses is the same. It's, it's rabbi or teacher. And so for him, that's how it makes sense that this woman was able to get into this Pharisee's courtyard even. And so when, when a distinguished guest shows up at... at a Pharisee's house, what was common, not just what was common, but what was demanded of by custom was that you would do three things, three uh, acts of hospitality, right? And the host, first thing he would do would be to bring them in, put a hand on the shoulder and give them the kiss of peace, welcoming them into their home. So it would be like, you know, when you walk into my hug, I, you get a hug, Right. Um, now, I'm not going to kiss you, uh, you know, most of you anyways, it's not going to happen. So, but if, uh, you know, Ryan occasionally gets one. But, uh, you know, the, uh, the thing though is, is that we, this was a custom, you, you did not neglect this. It was just expected to bestow the peace and, and the peace of this house be upon you kind of a thing. Um, it was a mark of respect that was never omitted, right, in the case of a distinguished rabbi, 
And so then the second thing that would often happen is that in this time, the roads were just these dusty trails. Uh, they weren't these nicely cobbled roads. They certainly had no asphalt. Um, and so they would, their shoes were just some leather soles with straps on them. And their feet would often be dusty and uh, you'd have some rocks and who knows what they've stepped in along the way. And so the custom would be that the host would provide some cool water to pour over the guests' feet, to clean their feet and to offer some relief from the outside for them. Right? And then lastly, either a pinch of, of an incense that's been burned or a drop of, of like rose oil would be applied to the person's head right? when they would come in, kind of anointing them. And, and it was, these were all things, as I said, they're not just common courtesy. It was almost demanded by custom of respected individuals. And in this case, this man neglected all three of them, which was pretty astounding. So here we have Jesus, though. He is at this man's house. He is the guest of honor who's been invited. And, and he's lounging at a table. And I use this word lounging because we all, we're all sitting in chairs right now. They, they didn't sit in chairs at this time period in the custom of, of where they were. They would lounge at tables. And so the idea of sitting in a chair, that, that just didn't, that wasn't what was going on. They would have these cushions and often you would have, you would lean on one elbow and you would use the other to eat or to talk and, and you would have your feet kind of behind you. You know, just imagine it laying down and other people are around the table. And so when you think of the idea of somebody sitting at your feet, it makes more sense because you're away, you're pointed towards the table. Look at the table's here. And you're leaning against it, and it's low. And so you're there. And so the people would sit around the, the actual guests who were seated at the table. So that's how this woman would end up at Jesus' feet. Does that make sense? Yeah. Just trying to paint this picture a little bit. And so we, we see this, and we see the scenario of what's going on. So this Pharisee, which Jesus didn't always get along so well with the Pharisees. Um, if you read it, they're the religious leaders of the time. Um, they were the, the elite, which you could call uh, super Jews. Or, you know, if you've ever heard, some people are like, oh, those are... I, when I've studied the Bible with people, I'm like, do you know what a disciple is? And they're like, oh, that's like a super Christian. Someone who really, like, sticks to the Word of God, you know? Um, and I'm like, yes, that is true. A, a disciple is that. Um, but they're just a Christian. The Pharisees, though, were like... They were the ones that held to the minutia of the law. They were, in, in, in the cultural standard, they were really righteous and good. And so this guy invites Jesus. And there's, there's at least three reasons why this guy could have invited Jesus to his home. Um, at, at least three. But here's, here's three that I, I was thinking of. One, he's, he could have been an admirer of Jesus. He's, he was someone who, because not all the Pharisees hated Jesus, so he could have been an admirer of Jesus. Somebody who says, hey, I want you to come to my house. I, I really want to, to have you over for dinner. That's unlikely because if that were true, then he would have done the customary uh, honoring of his guest of honor. Right. So that's that's not entirely likely. Another idea is that Simon maybe had invited Jesus to his house to entice him or trap him in some sort of scenario. 
right? To get him to say something so that he could accuse Jesus of something later. Um, this is possible, but not always the, the most likely, I would think. He did call Jesus rabbi. He did give him some aspects of honor, holding a dinner there. Um, another idea, and, and a few scholars think that it could have been that this Pharisee was just a, kind of a collector of celebrities. Because to have a rabbi in your home was a big deal. And so Jesus, here is this like fiery, wild, really, really young rabbi that's thousands of people are coming to hear him preach, right? And hear him speak. And, and so for him, he's going, okay, I'm going to have this guy over to my house. I don't necessarily like this guy, but everybody else likes him. Kind of a, a, so I'm going to have him over. And that, that may explain a little bit of the, both giving him some patronage of, of having him over, but also kind of showing the disrespect at the same time of him. Does that make sense? And so we've, you've got this picture of, of this, this man, Simon, right? And then you have the woman. You have this woman who's made her way into this guy's home. And she's known as a sinful woman. It's, it's often referred to that they believe this woman was a prostitute, right? It's like, the guy says, if he knew who that was, would he even let her touch him, right? Um, but this woman, she comes and she's just, she comes to sit at Jesus' feet. She brings this alabaster jar of perfume, which is incredibly expensive, right? It's, it's incredibly expensive. And, and she's got this and she's bringing it. And she's sitting at Jesus' feet, wanting to be near him. And what I really believe, personally, I think what's, what's there is, I, I think that this woman has heard Jesus preach before. I think she's heard him preach because she has come, uh, having heard some of the good news about the kingdom of God. Hearing about the forgiveness of sins. Seeing the miracles that Jesus has performed. Seeing the way that he has forgiven other people for his sins. For their sins. And so she's here. She's sitting at Jesus' feet. And I think she, she understands. If she doesn't understand he's the Messiah, she knows for sure that he's a man who's able to forgive sins, to bring relief to the hurting, uh, those in pain. And, and here she comes, this woman, to sit at Jesus' feet, just wanting to be near him. Um, and, and someone who's cast out by society, looked down upon, and just wanting some relief from Jesus. You know, and so for her to be there, and then she begins to just cry, maybe understanding it's just beginning to hit her. Maybe not who Jesus is, but what, just being in his presence, the relief of being with him. Just the power of his love, even being in his presence, she's feeling moved. And he's, She's there and she just begins to weep at his feet and begins to just wet his feet with her. And have you ever cried where you just like, like really cry, just tears where they're falling off your face cry? Um, and she's just crying. And she, what, I mean, that's a lot of tears. That's a lot of tears to wet somebody's feet with your, your tears. And she's just crying and crying. And then she begins to just clean his I mean, I wouldn't imagine 
using your hair. Uh, a hair is a woman's glory. It's, a, it's, it's one of the things that's it's a note of beauty. And to use your hair to clean something, it, I mean, just to me now, that seems gross. But if you were to do that then, I imagine that's, you're, you're showing this, I, I just, I want to, I want to be connected to you. I want to do something. It's your feet. That's not gross to her. It's an act of such utter honor. And then she takes this expensive perfume that she pours on his feet. And she says, she's just crying. This guy, Simon, didn't put even just a dab of oil. And she takes this expensive nard and pours it on his feet. This is expensive perfume. There is this incredible contrast between these two people, right? There's an incredible contrast here because you see one who is a derelict of society, someone who is known as being a sinful, bad woman, right? And then you have this guy who, by society, is a good person. One shows disrespect and disgrace, and the other just is grateful and honors Jesus and, and is there at his feet. And when we look at this, this parable really, when we get a little bit more of the context, which is why I explained all the, what's the custom, it shows a real contrast between the Pharisee Simon and the sinful woman. Because Jesus then goes on to tell the parable, he says, he who is forgiven much loves much, and he who has been forgiven little loves little. Right? You know, to Simon, Simon didn't think he needed much forgiveness. Right? This woman is radically aware of her sinfulness. Right? Radically aware of this. And we look at the contrast there. And what I hope to do today is really bring that to us. How does this apply to us when we look at it? And so I only have one point today, and the title of that point is simply Blinded by the Pride. Blinded by the Pride. You know, Simon was conscious really of no need of Jesus, and therefore felt no real love for Jesus, right? You know, that love that he would have felt, if he had felt, felt love from God or felt mercy from God, you would think that that love and mercy would extend to others. Because when we are shown mercy or we're shown love, oftentimes I think we tend to be more loving and more merciful, would you say? Right? That love would have brought mercy and forgiveness. But Simon received none, so it seems. But nor did he offer any. He didn't offer mercy. He didn't offer forgiveness. He, he was there standing in judgment of someone else. You know, those forgiven of much, love much. And those forgiven of little, love little. A good person, I, I, recently I was, in a, I was in an Uber with a young man. So I, I, he gave me a ride, picked me up from the airport and, and drove me home. I was dropping off a rental car, but we sat in the car and we were talking. He seemed like a really nice guy. He started his own business. I mean, he's young. He was 25 and he was telling me about what he had, 
he'd been doing and he was really going at it. And when we were talking, though, it finally came up. He goes, well, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm a minister. He goes, oh, okay," You know, Uh, and that usually comes up at different times in an Uber ride. Uh, I won't say I don't lead them a little bit to to sort of a discussion that way. But um, he's like, oh, okay," And then he's like, well, I think it got to. Well, are you one of those that like you go out and you just randomly talk to everybody? Uh, like on the street and do stuff like that. He goes, and it, it, it came at not quite like that, but the context was it really annoys him when people do that. And I was like, I was like, well, let me ask you, why does that bother you? He go, and he was like, well, because I'm I'm a good person and they're condemning me. And I was like, I was like, okay, um, and and. We ended up sitting in my driveway for probably 15 minutes talking. You know, he could have picked up somebody else. And I, I still kind of wonder, he was kind of, he wasn't uh, hostile or anything like that. But I wonder if he was like, will this dude just get out of my car? But he also kept talking, so I, I didn't feel like he was trying to rush me out. But what was interesting is that it came to, he just felt like he was being judged. Because he felt like he's, he was a good person. And that he's being judged if people are offering or coming to him to talk about Christ. Because to him, he's going, I'm good. I don't need that. And what was intriguing to me is if it was offensive to him, but his air really came across as offensive to somebody who might bring it. Like He's like, well, I try not to be rude. And I'm like, but are you sometimes? And, and he's like, I can be. You know, it's essentially how it came out. Those who don't think that they need much mercy, didn't, he didn't really offer much. Didn't seem wanting to. Um, and I was trying to help him understand, like, hey, that's, that's not what we're, we're trying to say. It's, if I think there's a cure for cancer, wouldn't you want me, and, and I thought you had cancer, wouldn't you want me to tell you about it? Uh, and, and it was a, a long, not long, but a long enough discussion, I won't go through the whole thing here. But it really came into this. The young man didn't see any need. For Jesus, because he didn't see himself as needing Jesus. He also came across as very brusque and very harsh. And and but I've also thought, you know, there's certainly times where I've been like that myself. I've been um, more aware of or less aware of my own imperfection, my own sin, what I've where I'm at, and it can make me a little more harsh and more brusque and and. Lacking love. Right? If I'm not aware of what I've been forgiven, it's a lot harder to be forgiven. If I'm less aware of the mercy I've been given, it's a lot harder to be merciful myself. Yeah. Right? And, and that's what I see both in Simon and the scripture. That's what I've sensed some in this young man, but I've even seen in myself. But I'd ask, what about you? How, how are you doing these days thinking about where you're at in your gratitude of what you've been forgiven. Right? You know, often we tend to, like I said, offer less mercy because we perceive ourselves as not needing it. Um, We forget our own perfections and are blinded by our pride. 
by a false view of ourselves. Right? I can be this way. But it's... I realize that... And if you realize that your debt to God... Because we talk about this idea of that he's talking about these debtors. Is so immense that you could never pay back God to get to heaven. Which we all fall short of the glory of God. But we all fall infinitely short of being perfect people. Right? And that means that we have an infinite debt that can never be repaid. And if... What's amazing to me is if... if you would value... If, if you were to told... Okay, if somebody asked you for a ransom for someone, right? And if they were a good person that you knew, you might offer a ransom for an individual. But if they ask the world, essentially, for that person, would you... Would you really... You may want to, but would you pay the ransom? Would you give everything you had? Maybe not for your love... You know, your, your best friend or your wife or your child. But if it was just a good person, would you give all you had to redeem that person? Um, you know, I think for the people we love the most, we'd say we'd give everything we had. We'd, we'd, pay, we'd pay an infinite amount to get somebody back that we love. And that's what's amazing to me is that God's really saying, I'd pay an infinite amount for your love. But do you realize what I've paid? Do you perceive what I've paid for you? Because the one who was forgiven little, loved little, and the one who was forgiven much, loved much. But if we only think we've been forgiven a little, then we're actually wrong. We've all been forgiven an infinitely great debt. So shouldn't we be so infinitely grateful? When we think about it. Does that make sense yeah. to us? And, and it, it moves me because I, when I think about it. It moves me when I think about it. When I perceive it. When I dwell on it. And that's honestly what the cross can mean to me. That's what it, it, it means to me when I think of the love of God, how much He loves me. Right? You know, but I've got to realize my imperfection. I've got to realize my shortcomings. I, I need to know. Paul, Paul made this statement. He says, this is a trustworthy saying. He says, I am the worst of sinners. Right? He says, the, the, the idea of being, a, being the worst. I've done the most. I've, I've, I have such great sin. And that humbles Paul. And this woman was humbled. Because she knew her sin. And I've had trouble with this passage sometimes, personally. Because who wants to be, at first glance, who wants to be somebody who just weeps and cries and, and is just, um, honestly, what looks like a mewling, uh, pleading like person on their knees. I mean, who, who, who wants to look pathetic? When we at first glance at this woman, right? If you saw somebody, they're like making her hair dirty, crying. You're like, you're a mess. You're a mess. And who wants to be who wants to be a mess like that, right? At first glance, 
Um, to me, as it is now, this is just me as a man. I, I look at it and I go, I don't want to be like that. Um, I've even been asked on several occasions from from scriptures like this or concepts like this. I, I've been asked a question very much like this. Isn't it kind of messed up that your God wants you to think so little of yourself and to beat yourself up? Isn't it kind of messed up that your God wants you to do that? Um, my response is, yeah, that's not healthy. Uh, and it isn't healthy to see yourself as worthless. As worthless. But the fact is, you're not worthless if you really understand the gospel. Yes, you're imperfect, but you're not worthless. In fact, that's what makes it so great, is in your perfection, God would pay so much for you. You are so extravagantly valued. That's what makes the gospel so amazing. And as I try to explain that to someone, it's not about thinking you're, you're this worthless human being. It's about understanding that you have shortcomings and failures and you've got character flaws and issues and you've sinned and you've done things wrong and you don't deserve heaven, but God wants you to be there with him. That's what makes the gospel so beautiful, right? You know, when I understand the gospel, I realize my value. That to God, I'm worth forgiving an infinite debt. But I have to ask myself, am I grateful for it? Are you grateful for the infinite debt you've been forgiven? Right? See, I'm not trying to beat myself up. I'm trying to recognize who I am. Because as an imperfect person, I want to be a tool in the hand of God. Yeah. And what's funny about it, though, is when I'm thinking I'm imperfect, I have shortcomings, I've got failures, that shouldn't make me weak. It makes me realize where I'm not strong, certainly, but it doesn't make me a weak person. It doesn't sap my confidence from who I am, because what I do is it makes me redirect what I take confidence in. When I grasp how deeply I'm loved, despite my imperfections, I can be a tool in the hand of God. I can let myself be wielded by God. And what's great is, God wants me, an imperfect instrument, an imperfect tool, to be used in His hand. And a perfect God can use an imperfect me perfectly. Right? A perfect God can use an imperfect me perfectly. What does that mean? It means when I'm in God's hand, I'm powerful. When I'm in God's hand, I'm unstoppable. But my strengths... Well, are my strengths and are multiplied. My weaknesses can be worked around and even strengthen themselves, right? As I strive to pursue and be more like Jesus. But when that does not happen is when I can't see them. When I'm blinded by my pride. What about you? How are you doing these days at seeing your pride? How are you doing at seeing your imperfections, of seeing what you've been forgiven of? You know, for me, I am, I like who I am when I'm the humble me. I like who I am because I have a lot more confidence. 
I have a lot more trust in God because I, I realize that I don't have to have the solution to every problem, but I can let it be at the feet of God or in the hands of God. Can any of you relate with that? And maybe you can't. And I'd say, if you can't, it might be because you might be blinded by your pride. Or you're not seeing where God's trying to use you, right? Um, You know, I've got to remember that I need to be the one at the feet of Jesus, blinded by my tears because of humility and gratitude, not blinded by my pride and self-righteousness. Someone who's able to see their own perfections is able to love so much more, offer so much more, be so much more merciful. And while our world upholds arrogance and pride and personal, like, I can do it. I'm the one that can solve the problems. I will bring the answers. God goes, I'll bring the answers. I'll fix the problems. Sometimes he works despite us, right? But really, God works through us so much more powerfully when we let him. And it doesn't mean we have to be weak. In fact, we know God's going to give me the answers. God's going to provide the problems. He's going to provide the solutions. And if I believe that God is greater and bigger and stronger and smarter and all of these things than I am, it's so much easier to do. Right? It should give us even more confidence. Not fake confidence, not arrogant confidence, but real confidence because God is so great. And so, a person who's able to see their own perfections in sin often can more easily see their need for God's mercy. Everyone falls infinitely short. That means no one really is forgiven little. Everybody's forgiven much. Right? It says, The woman in this story realized she had a great need for God. She had a great need for forgiveness. And she found it in Jesus. Do you guys find your need for God? Do you find your forgiveness? Right? Do you love much or do you love little? Which are you in this scenario? When you think for yourself what you should do, we should be wary when we perceive ourselves to be without sin. At any time. When we think, I'm doing pretty well. I've got it handled. Or, or when we're not really thinking about who we are before God. You may be doing well. But we should be wary because it becomes easy to get in a place where we forget what we've been forgiven. Right? And though that forgetful, through that forgetfulness, we forget to extend mercy to others. We tend to be less compassionate and less kind. Right? Um, in Luke 7.44, Jesus says, Do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? Simon saw a prostitute, period. He didn't see her as a person, nor had he noticed her. Her acts of worship for what they were. Right? But Jesus missed nothing. Right? He saw her. He saw her past. He saw her humble present. And he saw her hopeful future. Right? He quickly described all the ways she'd honored him, unlike Simon. Then she finished, then finished with this announcement. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. All of her sins. All are forgiven. Why? Because she loved much. And she could love because she knew 
where her imperfections lied, where God would wash them away, where, what Jesus could provide for them. And so she saw who she was. I want to give you this. This week when you go home, I'd encourage you to read through this passage. Read over it and answer these three questions for yourself. Am I the one forgiven little or forgiven much? And and try not to give one word answers. Try to really think through this and write some real stuff down. Am I the one forgiven little or forgiven much? What do I or did I need to be forgiven of in my life? What do I or did I need to be forgiven of in my life? And the last one is, what does it mean to love much? What does it mean to love much? I think if we answer these questions... This week, if you really sit with this scripture and you go over them, I think you'll find that you will love much. I pray that we can go and do likewise. I pray that we can go out and love the people around us to extend the mercy as Jesus did, to see ourselves for who we are as we sit at the feet of Jesus, humbly finding strength in the power of God. Amen, church. Let's go and love much.